Good morning. Let's read from Matthew's Gospel. Chapter 28, verses 5 and 7, and then 16 to 20. This is the word of the Lord. But the angel said to the woman, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay, and then go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead, and behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word, for your holy word. And thank you for the reality that we are going to uh, be looking at today. The resurrection of the Son of God. The resurrection of Jesus. And what that means for the rest of history. What that means for our day-to-day lives. God, we come to you having just read this passage, this command for us to go out into all the world to make disciples of all the nations, to baptize them, and to teach them to obey everything that you've commanded us. Now, we can't even do that ourselves. We can't even obey what you've commanded. We can't even train our kids to do this, much less the nations. And so today we ask for help. We ask for power. We confess that we doubt often. Show us how you are, regardless of, in spite of our weaknesses, how you are ultimately, presently even, victorious. We pray that you speak to us today. I just realized that I forgot to do this liturgy thing. This is the word of the Lord. That's what you get for having somebody besides Quinn up here. Yeah. I, uh, my name is Trey Adams. Uh, I'm longtime friends with uh, the right Reverend Quinn Hill. And um, it's just good to be back in Shreveport. We, we've, it's been probably four or five years. Uh, and we love this place. Thank you all for being a part of our ministry in Thailand. So today we will be looking at the passage I just read, Matthew 28, the Great Commission. You're like, of course, he's a missionary. It's probably the only English text he knows. Uh, This is what we're preaching, though. Um, But I've been thinking about the Great Commission regardless. We're we're planting a church uh, in probably September or October of this year. 
And as a missionary, this text comes up a lot when we're at missions conferences, where we're at churches. Um, but sometimes it feels a bit like a formula. Sometimes it feels a little bit like a pep talk, you know? Go to all the nations, make disciples, baptize, train them to obey. And like I just prayed, I can't teach my kids to obey. How do we do this? How does this happen? Well, I want to look, as we just read, we just read about the resurrection. Our resurrection hope. Now, you may be thinking, all right, Trey, I don't know how they do it in Thailand, but we had Easter three weeks ago, four weeks ago. We did that resurrection thing already. We don't have to do that for another, you know, 50 Sundays or so. Uh, but, but I think this is sometimes the problem with the way we think about the Great Commission. We separate things in our minds so that resurrection is something that we deal with once a year, right? On Easter. And then we, we move on to whatever else we're doing, whatever, else, whatever series we're doing in our, um, in our year, uh, in our church calendar. But I don't think we can do that. I don't think we should do that. So today we're going to look at the Great Commission in light of the immediate context, the resurrection of Jesus. And I'm going to confess real quick, uh, it's going to be exegetical. We're going to go in, this passage is the main text, but we're going to do a bit of a survey. And it's going to be a little bit topical. Our homiletics professor told us, you can do that once a year and then you got to repent. So I'll repent afterwards. Um, but we're going to look at kind of a survey of what the mission of the church looks like in light of the resurrection of Jesus. So um, my first term, my first term in Bangkok, in Thailand, we served in, in Bangkok, Thailand. And uh, our first term there, I went right after seminary, right after ordination. I like to say that they got me at a good time. I knew everything still. Um, like it, it, but we went right then and I was the pastor of this little Thai church. And our ministry has a bit of a parish feel. So back then it was just this little slum area that we were the church was in the middle of all these slums and markets and a campus. And that was kind of our people. Those were our people. Um, and so I would be in the slums praying for and doing kids clubs, uh, sharing the gospel with these people regularly. In the market, doing the same. On the campus, doing the same. And it was a it was very parish-style ministry. But part of that meant that I was seen as the pastor of this area. And so all these old Buddhist women that lived in the slums, they knew me as, as the pastor of the Christian church. Now they, they called me the priest. They, they, got, they get their Catholicism and Protestantism. But you can excuse them that. They have never heard of those things. Um, but they called me the priest, basically, by the one. And um, I would go in there and, and, and just be a part of their lives and pray for them. We had this about a six-week period, and, and you've got to remember, I'd only been there for a few months at this point, where we had this six-week period where about seven or eight of these old women in the slum died. Now, so that meant I had to be at the temple for their Buddhist funerals. Now, Raise your hand if you've been to a Buddhist funeral in Thailand. Whoa, there are people who have been to a Buddhist funeral in Thailand. I've never had that happen. We're going to need to take a minute. Just kidding. That, that's amazing. Well, you would, you'll be able to picture this much easier, obviously. So the way it looks, the way it works, 
is that you are the congregation. That's easy to imagine. You are. Up front is a raised dais like this with four or more monks sitting there chanting in kind of the ancient Buddhist language, Sanskrit. And they're, this is what they do. They just chant. Now, the, the funeral can go on for days. Days and days and days. Weeks. But mostly, it's, it's usually three to four days. The body would be on that side or that side to the side, and you're looking at these monks. Now, as a Thai, you're there to see or to, to be a part of your loved one's send-off, funeral. Your language is Thai. Even the monks really don't speak Sanskrit. They, they memorize it by rote. And the only tie that you see during this time are four phrases which are printed on these fans, these big funeral fans that the Buddhist monks hold. Now, I told this story last time, but you probably don't remember this, but there are four phrases. Now, these four phrases are by my clap. Go, but don't return. La, my Go to sleep, but do not awaken. Food, my knee. There is no resurrection. Knee, my point. We cannot escape this. So this is the message that as a mourner, you are seeing. This is the only tie in this whole service are these four phrases. Now what you're hearing is, this is it. This is it. There's nothing else. How's that different? How's that different from what we experience as believers? Now we preach Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. He leads us through the valley of the shadow of death. First Corinthians 15. Death where is your victory? Death, where is your sting? It's a little different. But really, the Buddhist message is really what everybody in the world, everybody in the world really thinks. Even some Christians really think this. We're not, we don't expect resurrection. We don't dwell on resurrection that much. But the Christian message, this is the only the only message that really gives a full body, there is a resurrection. Full body, that was no, no pun intended. There's really a resurrection. It's going to happen. So today, I want to look at the Great Commission in these, these three ways. First of all, is the foundation of the Great Commission. The foundation of the Great Commission. Secondly, the power of the Great Commission. And third, the message of the Great Commission. So first of all, let's look at the foundation of the Great Commission. So when we read this passage, or any passage really, especially narrative, we want to ask ourselves, how did they get here? How did they get to this place on this mountain? You know, first of all, we read about where the women are uh, coming to the tomb, and we all know that story, and then the angel says, he's not here, he's risen. Because we have a tendency, I have a tendency to compartmentalize things, to, to separate things out. So I've realized, as I was thinking about this passage in the Great Commission, and, and in, in light of our, our, our uh, mission of planting a church in Bangkok, how do we carry out the Great Commission there? I just realized, I think about the Great Commission often 
and my mission, because of that, I think about my mission, our particular calling, without any reference to the resurrection. I mean, I can't tell you how many times I've thought about this, meditated on it, memorized it, taught it, led a Bible study on it, without even really any reference to the thing that happened just before that, the resurrection. And maybe I'd mention it, but, but then I, I, I'll preach or teach or think about the Great Commission as if it's a formula that we do. But this whole scene, what we just read here, when the disciples come to the, Gal- to, to the mountain there in Galilee, it's built on the resurrection. It happens because of the resurrection. Our own obedience to the Great Commission. In fact, the whole New Testament after this really depends on the resurrection. The one commentator said, you can kind of lose the Christmas narratives. I mean, Jesus can just, he can just appear. He can just appear in history. No, yeah, work with me here. He can just, we can just start his life at age two or three and go from there. We don't have to have the Christmas narratives. But if you don't have the resurrection, there's no New Testament. There's nothing else. Remember, that is the hope. Where were these people? Where were these disciples after the death of Jesus? They were huddled and scared and crushed and defeated. And they had no idea what was happening next. This whole thing is built on the resurrection. What launches the church, what launches the Great Commission is the reality of the resurrection. That Jesus wasn't just spiritually there. He didn't just kind of appear to them in spirit. He was bodily right there. And this is why the New Testament writers go to such lengths to show you. They want you to feel it. They want you to feel that Jesus really rose from the dead. I know you've been in John lately, right, Quinn? You know, John 21, if you read that passage, I I love this passage. It's really, it's just this really detailed passage about the disciples meeting the risen Jesus. And he shows them his hands and his side. And they're just hanging out with him. They're feeling his wounds. And you can kind of, you're kind of there in this picture when you, when you read this. And then in 1 John, you know what he says? He says that, and he's talking to believers who haven't seen Jesus, didn't see the risen Jesus maybe. He says, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched. This is what we proclaim concerning the word of life. John wants you to feel it. He wants this message to be tactile, sensed. And then Luke, you know, maybe the best, who knows, best chapter in what is the best chapter of Scripture? Luke 24, though. That's up there, you know? you know? Like, you don't, if you're on your deathbed, you don't want Leviticus. You want Luke 24, Romans 8, right? Luke talks about the risen Christ making a piece of, or giving his disciples a piece of broiled fish. This is really sensory. They want you to feel that Jesus didn't just appear to them by spirit. Jesus' body was there. Jesus was there in the flesh. And then Paul, when he writes 1 Corinthians, what he's, what he's doing, he's building this big argument about hard things. 
right? Lawsuits, incest, adultery, uh, conceitedness. And he builds this whole argument on what? On the fact of the resurrection. The climax of the book is chapter 15 about the resurrection. But every argument he makes in that book is you don't commit adultery because your body and what you do with it matters. It's going to be raised. You don't do lawsuits among your, the body because you, you are going to be raised up with Christ. You don't commit incest. All these things, you don't do them because your body and what you do with it here, that is your place of worship. And sinning against God happens in the body too. Now, sometimes maybe we think, well, these people, you know, they're, they're you know, way back then, they're these ancient people, they're, they're superstitious. Of course they would think that the resurrection would happen. Of course, all kind of things. They would think all kind of superstitious things. But that's not the way. Nobody was expecting a resurrection. Nobody was expecting for a dead man to get up and rise. And in fact, if you see some in this passage, some people were still doubting it. Some people were still doubting Jesus and what happened in this passage. The Great Commission is not a pep talk. It's not just a vision statement for missionaries. It's a command given to all Christians that is integrally tied to and built upon the reality of the resurrection of Jesus. So when you hear the Great Commission, when we, when we talk about the Great Commission, when you meditate on it, in your mind, is it just a formula? Is it, do we send our checks so that this, this, and this can happen? Is it just a guilt trip? Do I come here as a missionary to guilt you into writing those checks or to guilt you into going? Is it just a pep talk? Or is it, is it built upon the most momentous, important thing that ever happened in the history of the world, the resurrection of Christ. The foundation of, our, of the Great Commission, of this command, is that Jesus rose from the dead, therefore we go. Next, the power of the Great Commission. So we're gonna look at the power of this message, the power of what Jesus says to do here. In the Great Commission we see uh, and throughout the New Testament, really, we see both a power revealed and a power bestowed. A power revealed and a power bestowed. So Jesus says to his disciples here, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So what does this mean? When he says all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. So what he's doing here. This language that he's using, he is claiming kingship, lordship, of what? Of all the earth, of heaven and earth, of the whole cosmos, of all the earth. And the New Testament writers, that's the way they see what happens next. That's the way they see this whole thing, this great commission. Romans 1, Paul says, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, and set apart for the gospel of God. The gospel he promised beforehand through his prophets and the holy scriptures regarding his son, who as to his earthly life was a descendant of David 
and who through the spirit of holiness was appointed the Son of God in power by the resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. Paul, and you see this all through his writings, Paul sees the resurrection as his coronation, as Jesus' coronation. And we had a coronation yesterday, right? Now that was given on the authority of the, the nation of England, the kingdom of England. I don't know what you call it. Um, I don't live there. I don't really know anything about it. But I know that this resur- or this coronation happened on the very authority of God, the giver of life. God looked down and said, he will be raised. He was appointed son of God in power. Just like in Psalm 2 we read earlier. Today you are my son. God says to the, to the Messiah in Psalm 2, you are my son, you are the, my chosen king. This is a power that is revealed. It's been revealed. All of a sudden, you know, these disciples have been walking with Jesus for about three years. He's been walking among these people in Nazareth for 30-ish years. He's just a regular man in some ways. And he does some weird stuff, and he does some pretty powerful stuff. And, and, but in... In one sense, they just they don't really know who he is. They don't they have no idea what's happening, what, how how he can do these things. And they kind of you look at the gospels and they kind of go about life as if, oh, this is a great man, a good man, a great teacher. And they're seeing the rabbi Jesus. But all of a sudden, in Matthew 28, these disciples aren't just looking at Jesus, the Jewish rabbi, who's a good teacher and does some cool things, what they're seeing is Jesus the Christ, the Son of the living God who is proclaimed, who is is crowned in power as the true King. This is the Messiah of Psalm 2 that they've been waiting for. And they see now that this, this is the one who is claiming that God power, that King of Kings power. But also, we see in this passage, there is a power that is bestowed. So there's a power that we've seen revealed, that Jesus is revealed as the Son of God. But there's a power that's bestowed. So when he says to his disciples, I have all authority in heaven and earth. I am the Lord of the earth, is what he's saying. I'm the Lord of heaven. And what he's saying to them is, therefore, you go and be my agents. You go and be my ambassadors. And that's the word that Paul uses, ambassadors. But what is an ambassador? Now, we, we, we have ambassadors. Our country has ambassadors to Thailand. And the ambassador comes, and what he can do is he can, he can, he can proclaim the message or um, represent the message of the United States of America. Now, Jesus is saying... I am giving you, I am empowering you with the message of the kingdom. This is the message. And we'll talk about that in a minute. So he's giving them, he's bestowing on them the power to be his agents, his ambassadors, his representatives. And he also invites them throughout the New Testament, but here too, to participate in the power of his resurrection. Now, we always think about Paul talking about in Christ, right? So that's a Pauline kind of thing, but that's before Paul ever did it, Jesus was doing it uh, in, in, in John's gospel. We probably talked about it. This farewell discourse, 14 through 17. 
Jesus uses all this language like, if you abide in me and I in you. So this in me language. I abide in the Father and the Father in me. And if you abide in me, in me, abiding in Jesus, participating in his life is what God is, what Jesus has been already inviting his disciples to. And now he's, he's further inviting them into that. He's further inviting the disciples, the apostles into that. And the way that, that even the rest of the New Testament uh, describes the Christian life, it's about participating in, living in this resurrection power. You know, when, you, when we go to Ephesians, we read a little bit from Ephesians and about the power that, that is available to believers. But in, in uh, chapter 119, he says, and this incomparably great power is for us who believe. And this power is the same as the mighty strength that he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at the right hand of the Father. Do you know that if you are in Christ, if you are a believer here, that the same power that raised Christ from the dead is the power by which you fight sin, raise your kids, evangelize, walk obediently with Jesus. And this this is used several times. In Philippians 3, he uses the same thing. I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection of the dead. And then in Romans 8, also, we the same power that is in Christ, is, uh, or that, that raised Christ from death, is the same power by which we fight sin. So the, the whole New Testament is built on this power that has been bestowed and now given to the agents of God's kingdom. So the power of the resurrection is made clear in the Great Commission. Not only is Jesus proclaimed as the rightful king and lord of all history, but we who are in him are infused with power, are given power to walk with him, to walk in him. And finally, let's look at the message of the Great Commission. So we've seen that the foundation of the Great Commission itself is that Christ was raised. The power of the resurrection of the, of the Great Commission is that the King, the true King, has been revealed, and we are empowered as His agents to go out. So, what is the message? You know, if we're commanded to go and make disciples, to baptize them, and to teach them to obey everything that I have commanded you, what do we tell them? What are we telling them to obey? Well, that's a big question, and I'm going to let Quinn clean this up later. It's a good thing about being a, a, a pastor, a, a missionary. You can just leave. Uh, I'll be here next Sunday. But what is it that we tell people? Well, first of all, we tell them because the Great Commission is a resurrection message. We tell them that he's raised. You know, sometimes I think that we're prone to say, Jesus died for your sins. Isn't that great? And yes, it is great. But we stop there often, don't we? Jesus died for your sins. He did. But that's only half of the truth. We 
Because if he only died, this is what Paul says in, in 1 Corinthians 50, if he only died, then we're still in our sins. We're still in our sins. Paul actually says that he was delivered over to death for our sins. Yes. And he was raised to life for our justification. Do you know your, your justification, your right standing before God depends on the resurrection of Jesus. How is that? Why can that be true? Because Jesus took your sins and he died a death as penalty for those sins. And then God looked down, God the Father looked down and he said, he is innocent. He is vindicated. Therefore, death cannot hold him. And he was justified. And he was brought up into life. And therefore, all who are in him are justified with him, are vindicated with him. Jesus was vindicated. He was justified for your justification. He was raised to life for your justification. It also means that we're born again to a living hope. This is part of the message. We're born again to a living hope, not a, not a cold, dead, artificial, theoretical hope, but it's a hope that deals with the hospital room, with the hospice care, with the betrayal, with divorce, with your own lust, with all the sin that you deal with. It is a, a hope that is living and active and, and working powerfully in each of us. It also means nothing. Nothing, nothing, not even dying, not even dying can separate you from the love of Christ. So when we, the message that we take to Thailand is that I know that's what you see when you, when you lay your loved ones to rest or when you cremate your loved ones. I know that's what you see. You see this message that this is it, nothing else. The message of the resurrection is that, or the Great Commission is that, no, no, death is swallowed up. Death is defeated. And secondly, lastly, it's a royal message. This is an announcement that the king has come. Now, I think in America, we are a little, kingship is hard for us. We don't really do that, you know. I don't know what I preach like, but there's, uh, I, sometimes I preach on Psalm 2. It's a really good connection to the Thai culture. But I, I don't know, does anyone know what's on the Virginia flag, by the way? The Virginia state flag. And there's a woman, a woman, like a farm woman with a pitchfork or something, and her, her foot is on the neck of a dead king. Now, this is the way we feel about kings, right? Now, I know some of you probably watched the coronation, but that's not Thailand. Thailand, they love, they love their old king, the one who died a few years ago. They, they've had a king who is righteous, who is good, who is just, who loves them, who is like a father to them. So sometimes we get asked, and it's actually pretty often, why have you come? Now, I was sitting with a bunch of college students one time, and and. 
and they asked this question. And one of my interns went into this really great, long, apologetic rant. And he was doing some pretty slick apologetics. And was, I was pretty impressed. He was a really smart guy. Um, but you could see these ties, like their eyes were just glazed. You know, they could not follow what was going on here. And so I just stopped the guy and I said, we, we come to tell you about Christ because the King has come. Now, you don't feel that maybe as an American, but the ties were like, oh, oh yeah. Of course you would come then. If the King, if the true King of heaven and earth has come, the one who is above the King of all kings, why wouldn't you come and tell us about it? N.T. Wright says, Matthew gives us the clear message of what the resurrection means. Jesus is now enthroned as Lord of heaven and earth. His kingdom has been established. And this kingdom is to be put into practice by his followers, summoning all nations to obedient allegiance to him and then marking them out in baptism. We proclaim a king who has come. Not as an opinion, but as a fact. And we rest in that. You know what this means? This means that I don't have to rely on my powers of persuasion to bring people to the king. I don't have to outsmart or impress people. You don't have to do that. We just live as citizens of the true king's kingdom in the midst of the people around us, in the midst of our neighbors. And we tell them with our words that the king has come. We show them with the way we live and the way we use our money and the way we raise our kids and the way we hope at a funeral that the king has come. And it also means that as we've read, all authority has been given to Jesus. That means even authority over their salvation, especially authority over this. That's not under my authority, that's his. So we just trust in the fact that he has risen and that he is calling his own to himself. As we go on mission, as you live in the midst of your neighbors here in Shreveport, live as citizens of the kingdom. Live as agents of the kingdom, as agents of the true king. And call people. Call people with your word and with your deed and with the way you live to that kingdom. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the reality that in spite of our weaknesses, in spite of our inabilities, even in the mess of life, when we feel like we can't even call our own children to obey, you are still the king and you are the risen king. Help us to hope and pray and live and speak and act as if we serve the risen king. Help us to live as citizens of that kingdom and to call others into that kingdom. We ask this in your holy name.